Welcome everyone to the Iron Fist podcast by Fantastic Geek. We are the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. I didn't even read my horoscope today. Is it bad? It's very, very bad, isn't it? The Iron Fist podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 207, Morning of the Mindstorm is sponsored by Rand Enterprises Knee Braces. They'll get you moving again, but the self-loathing is on you. Pete, self-loathing indeed. We have been high on this season, which has seen many, many improvements over the first season. Got to give a little uh, a little heads up to the listeners as we head into to this episode. We're never going to go full-on negative. It's not fun to podcast. It's not fun to listen to, but... Boy, there are some things and some stuff with this episode that largely devolves into middle-of-the-season Marvel Netflix slogging through people angrily yelling at other people without much emotional oomph or heft or relatability behind it. That's where we're at, Pete, with this episode. I don't subscribe to the Netflix middle-of-the-season slump theory, so on that we will disagree, but... We're going to take some things to task in this episode, some of which, Matt, I think are intentional. Time to step inside the dojo and deconstruct this episode. Danny is wheeled into surgery at the hospital. Colleen and Misty are updated about his condition as word arrives. Surgeons screw a brace onto Danny's shattered leg. Now wearing a stylish eye patch, Chen waits for Davos to be done in Rhino's den. Davos has come to free them through education and invites them to Eden Towers on the waterfront where anyone who joins him will receive room and board. Misty reconnects with Captain Pike of the Chinatown Police Precinct. He's been chasing a guy with a glowing fist for months. Misty explains one has a yellow one, the other a red one, but the yellow one is good. Pike has the commissioner and community board breathing down his neck. Misty wants to help, but he tells her to go back to Harlem. Take that job. Back at Colleen's apartment, Misty catches up. She learns Danny's in physical therapy with a brace made by the same Rand scientists who made her arm. Colleen has had a harder time keeping Danny's spirits up. When Misty asks if she's taking time for herself, Colleen shows her Frank Choi's ledger that she's managed to figure out dealt in life debts for people smuggled into the country from China. The box belonging to her mother she found at the Bayard Center was used to book passage. Just then, Danny Downer, who couldn't stay in the hospital anymore, arrives. Davos has killed eight more triad gangsters. With their plan to reverse what was done to Danny in the ritual, Misty heads off in search of a connection to the bowl. Joy doesn't want to go to New Jersey to help Sophia. Misty calls upon her and notices the new security measures and taser. Joy doesn't want to answer any questions, but eventually tells Misty about Mika Prater, the curator from Bailey's auction house. She may have pressed her for the ball, though. 
Misty's already a fan. At Baird, Colleen and Danny have distributed flyers about Davos, but she's worried about how much he's pushing himself. He blames himself for Davos. He believes there's still good in him. From a sports bar bathroom stall, an inebriated ward tells his assistant Katie what he's up to. Bethany finds him there after seven hours. He points out that he's in Narcotics Anonymous, not Alcoholics Anonymous. She tells him he needs to get to a meeting. Like the other males on this show, he's wallowing in self-pity because Joy cut him out for good and Danny got hurt even worse. A recovered addict, attempted Bethany, needs to get to a meeting herself when Ward restrains her and earns the ire of the bartender who tries to let Ward off easy, but ultimately beats him to the floor. Davos continues his deadly rampage as Chen keeps count. He can't hit the hatchet massage parlor on Christie until tomorrow, though, because he's got to prepare for his students, who Chen calls street rats, arrival. Davos anticipates Danny will attempt to attack again, Davos plans to train an army to clean up the city. Just then, they happen upon some junkies cracking into a car. Chen tries to stop him, but Davos kills them. Misty meets with Mika about the rare and expensive Tibetan singing bowl from Ernst Erskine's collection. She shows her a Thanga hanging scroll from an ancient city in the Himalayas, but it's not Kun Lun. Misty takes photos of the scroll and will let dear old Joy know Mika was helpful. Joy goes to Walker's apartment, but instead meets Mary and notices the faucet has been left running. Mary tells Joy Walker won't be back for a while and is unreachable. Mary doesn't want Joy to leave, though. Mary thinks Walker's just a good person in a bad place trying to get by doing a job. Joy checks out Mary's drawings, including an ominous one with a dark figure reflected in a mirror. As Joy leaves, Mary flashes back to a cell in a Slavic country where she sat beaten and the sound of falling rain drowned out the murder of another prisoner. Mary dumps her Valium down the drain. Misty goes to Colleen's apartment with the photos of the scroll and explains her crime scheme reconstruction skills. Danny reads the Tibetan that warns of death if precise measurements and hand placements aren't observed in the ritual. Misty leaves and Danny wants Colleen to train him to take Davos down. She's not able to, however, and, be and Danny begins to make space in her apartment to train. She shuts the door on him with the demand he act like it's their apartment before turning it into a dojo again. At a meeting, Bethany reveals she's been sober for six years, nine months, and 23 days, but wanted to use tonight. As she holds her sobriety chip, she explains how she crossed lines to be with Ward and he overhears in the hallway she's been pregnant with his child for six weeks, three days, and 14 hours before he leaves. 
Mary records a video for Walker admitted she, admitting she's been taking pills and running the faucets to keep her away, but she thinks they are changing. She tells her joy came for Walker's protection and talks about how Walker protected Mary back in Green Bay and Sokovia and thanks her. She wants them to get help and wants to surrender. She's prepared to go to Arizona, but hopes Walker chooses another way. She folds her drawing of two women's faces over each other and leaves the video to be played for Walker. Joy surprises Davos in his new down and dirty dojo. She talks about her solar cell patent, but laments empty promises and false friendships. Davos doesn't want to hurt her, nor revenge. He's building a future, and just when we think she really might be interested, she brings up the bowl they got from Mika and that she could sell it back at a discount to fix a friendship. He needs to keep it close, though, because it's crucial for transference. Just then, Rhino's squad arrives and pledges to him as their Shifu. Danny selfishly beats the crap out of the columns in Colleen's apartment. He wrapped with sheets, bloodying his knuckles before kicking one and forcing his girlfriend to break her vow to never teach again. He doesn't know what that means. She didn't want to teach anyone again who could be killed. But she's not going to go easy on Danny, nor will she warn him before she trips him with a bow staff. Sparring partners, let's look at who Danny faced off against in this episode. Pete, let's use one eye to look at Chen as a villain. He, uh, not doing the killing, but certainly facilitating them, keeping the list. Almost this, this uh, I don't want to say quite dogmatic, but certainly this very specific approach to, you know, gee whiz, boss, should we, should we add him to the list? Should we put him on the list? Okay, I crossed out stuff on the list. Like, all right, cool, partner. He's got a code. Uh, he really resents that Davos kills the junkies, tries to stop him, but he doesn't go far enough and prevent it. Obviously, Davos is too dangerous, but everybody who wears an actual eye patch is evil. Well, Pete, certainly facilitating the greater evil is Davos, and increasingly, of course, we are less with his, uh, his vengeful campaign here. You know, I mean, those junkies breaking into a car clearly did not deserve to, you know, be smushed like like rotten fruits. I know one of them had the off-screen neck snap. It's it's this increasing level of brutality. Also, while coincidentally, the NYPD goes, oh, I don't know how we can possibly catch this guy. Uh, or, or worse yet, uh, we're going to sit this one out and let him kill everybody. Yeah, which, uh, to be fair, it did cross my mind. I know that at least gang-on-gang violence, that is the position that some police departments take. Like, if it's going to be, you know, that bunch killing that bunch, okay, they're not shooting the cops, not shooting at civilians. And I think that, side note, that's like a short-sighted view because everyone has a family and we should be 
stopping it's violence murder. and it's and, murder man yeah <laughs> and you know the whole broken windows philosophy of, of there's, there's no murder math yeah yeah but <laughs> so i guess then pete uh quick let's call an audible for what the villain list is uh nypd minor, minor villain in this episode because they're not really trying their best to stop davos from smashing people in chinatown well far be it for me to indict captain pike here matt <laughs> and that that name has resonance beyond just Iron Fist in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Boop, uh, boop. <laughs> that was Matt saying yes. <laughs> or, or no, actually, if we're going to go in canon. Two beeps is, is no. One beep is yes. They took so, away the beeps, Pete. It's proof that this isn't <laughs> the prime universe. Anyhow, we'll save that for, for our Star Trek podcast. Back Star to the MCU. Discovery there. Um, I would put Pike as a villain uh definitely not the fine men and women new york's finest matt the nypd so you want to put pike on here um i'd be okay with it but even then what's the worst that he does tell misty no i'm not giving you um you know personnel and go back and take a captain job and be like me uh he's misguided in his sense of looking out for his community and for her, he's also really upper middle management. Quick NYPD geek tangent. Uh, longtime listeners, or at least uh, longer time listeners to the podcast will recall that last year, New York Comic Con, I want to say the Friday, maybe the Thursday, we saw an insanely good It Clown uh, at Comic Con, uh, only to discover the following Monday. That was an undercover NYPD police officer, and they had brought in a special costume for a special venue because you can't dress like a cop at Comic-Con, but you can dress like the It Clown and still be undercover. That might be the greatest undercover assignment in the history of undercover policing. Well, Pete, back fully to uh, the MCU here, Joy as a villain. I know, you know, we've... We've heard from listeners, we've discussed ourselves, is she flip-flopping, this, that, the other, but certainly she's, uh, she's back on our villainous list. As much as we put her in that category in this episode, I have never sided with her more than in this 50-plus minutes. Why is that? Well, she's talking at one point with, davos until we come to see that it's an elaborate ruse that she wants to do more for danny and i was like yes yes let's do more to danny and he hadn't even coerced colleen into coming out of retirement yet well fair enough pete anybody else on the villainous list uh i think old daniel rand of rand enterprises needs to look in the mirror because he might see himself there why is that, Pete? He's the hero of the show. He's Marvel's Iron Fist. I think this was a completely intentional pass in this episode to cast him in the least likable light. The way that he gets Colleen to take up teaching again through manipulation, through pity, is absolutely repugnant. And... We've talked for the last several episodes about the strong female roles imbued throughout this show. I mean, look what Mary and Walker are able to confront in this episode and the, the 
idea of self-knowledge and seeking some help and, and trying to get better. Granted, we're going to talk uh, theories next that might be heading in an even darker direction. But Danny, I think the writers here, they were listening and uh, white privilege and richness and everything else is being taken a task here in bringing Danny down. Oh, no, Pete, I'm reminded of in the first season when we said some things like that. Uh, it offended a listener who said, uh, anytime that you talk about white privilege, uh, that means that you're whatever, liberal crybabies or whatever. Oh, no, Pete, uh, can we analyze nope. this show from multiple <laughs> perspectives? Or do we have to do we have to uh, march lockstep arms raised with Danny Rand just because he's the same skin hue as us? You know what? Everybody's pink on the inside. And uh, yeah, I go ahead and, and write reviews. You, you think that uh, that's the case because it's not. The most interesting characters on this show are people of color and diverse backgrounds. That's what keeps me watching this show. And certainly, I mean, for me, one of the low points of Danny uh, was this whole notion of, you know, uh, it's my apartment. No, it's half an apartment. You know, let's not forget Pete. It's her apartment. Well, like, it's her I'm... apartment, but he bought the whole building. So like he owns it, but it's her space, which when there's no tension, that's not weird. That's just, that's, that's interesting writing because he's the billionaire and so on and so forth. But like for it to loop back around now where it's like, it's your, Colleen, it's your space. Or is it because I own it? Like that was not a good moment for him as a, as a man. It was not, it was not a good moment as a man, as a character, as a boyfriend yeah. Um, and I, I think there are other ways to write that. I think they wanted him to make this mistake. It also does it quickly in terms of bringing Colleen back as a teacher and the way that I enjoyed the end of this episode of her beating the crap out of him. <laughs> oh. Time to focus our chi and look inside this episode. Pete, can we read from this episode that Walker's disassociative identity disorder started with her trauma in Sokovia? Oh, I completely uh, think that's the case. Uh, I don't know if she was in Sokovia. Just because we hear Slavic speaking, she said before she's been and she was wounded by a, a Czech knife. Um in Czechoslovakia. So I don't know if we can specifically say that that's when it, where it happened. I am pretty sure that reference is made in this episode to Sokovia. One, um, one reference to Sokovia that Walker protected Mary in Sokovia. She could have been there in the city when, uh, Ultron attacked and Walker, uh, took over and uh, prevented her from dying when the, uh, the city went into the sky. Fair enough, Pete. Keeping with Walker, do you really see Walker ending up in Phoenix, buying lonely gal Margarita Mix and spending her time at Andy's coffee shop waiting to fill up that punch card to get a free latte? Is Arizona a good fit for Walker and for Mary? 
no. And I think we've uh, telecasted what's coming here, the ominous picture with the reflection. I, I think we're looking at Bloody Mary. You know, Pete, I hadn't quite considered that. Maybe because this episode, all the parts kind of were there, but it, it just turned into people yelling about stuff and not moving the plot forward. So I think that certainly is a very prescient prediction on your part. Uh, perhaps I got, perhaps I lost track of, of that story plotting just because really there are so few characters in this episode that end up different at the end versus the beginning. It's just a lot of, in my mind, the wheel spinning the mud for most of the characters most of the time this episode. Hey, Matt, remember Frank Choi? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, given that it's been like three or four episodes since the search for Frank Choi has been a thing, um, this box that Colleen's been in possession of the entire season in episode 207, we're returning back to the ledger. We've figured out now with the limited amount of Chinese that Colleen knows that it's life debts. So who used the box to gain passage to America? Well, presumably somebody connected to her family, which I think would be completely in fitting with the, the, you know, the familial themes that we've seen time and time again in this show. Um, also, it just kind of feels like, why is it rearing its head right now? Because we got a plan the last three episodes. We're, we're turning that final corner and headed for headed for the finishing line. And I feel like a lot of that is just in this episode in terms of, look, we are, and a little bit in the last episode too, I think we had pointed out some things like, oh no, it's the first half of last episode. Things that might uh, interrupt uh, Walker to Mary or Mary to Walker. And we're getting that in this episode. And I don't like it when you can see the writer's fingerprints on the story. And there's too much of that going on right now particularly given how the season has been so improved. The uh, Erskine collection, Matt, and we actually have an email about the name Erskine. We're going to read in a little bit, but uh, in that collection, as Mika is showing Misty around, Misty uh, looks at a bell and the camera languishes on it at least twice with what looks like Colleen's family's crest visible on the bell that is uh that's an interesting catch there uh i think certainly if we get some sort of colleen family reveal in the next three episodes it'll be all the more hashtag it's all connected i do worry that we're we may start to border on it's all really 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 connected kind of a la some of the you know some of the star wars prequel stuff that they've tried to get away from where every single thing doesn't need to be related to every single thing else. If is Joy that... is building C-3PO, I'm going to be so upset. Ugh. Blame the maker. Thank the maker. I don't know. Something with the maker. Hey, Matt, you're a dad. I am not. Do you remember the, um, the six weeks, three days and 14 hours after you had conceived your daughter. I could tell you with confidence that the, the, Pete, when that home run was hit, but I certainly did not spend any time after then going, wait a minute, 
525,600 minutes. It has been one year. No, wait, now it is that like there wasn't some sort of 24 style running clock where when I had downtime ahead of the commercial break, it went beep boop, beep boop, 16 weeks. Da, da, da. That was a little strange. Now you might say, all right, well, it's because she's because of her addictive personality and because she knows how long it's been since her last uh, use of drugs or alcohol, that's kind of patterned into her. And I think we're all familiar with that uh, as at least a TV and film trope. I, I will take it as, as fact that that's, that that's part of the healing process and the AANA uh, process and all that to know how long it's been. And, and, that length of time is to be celebrated, but I don't know that you carry that time measuring with you for everything else. For one, also, Pete, just to bring it down a little bit more, uh, a little bit more earthy here, you're telling me that there wasn't like a time before and a time after, because it seems to me like her and Ward are, have been friendly and have been friendly repeatedly, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, it is completely within the character of an addict the sobriety and to measure that amount of time. That's a real life thing. What a writer needs to learn. And I know a little bit about this is the idea of restraint. You don't then flip it around. Well, I know it's been this long and this many days since I've been pregnant. No, you do that. Like when the last accident happened, not like this, um, and not measured in, in such a way. So again, you got to show that restraint and, and, uh, decide to leave that one, uh, out of the script. I, I find myself wondering with all these script decisions, I find myself wondering, you know, to what degree in any of these episodes, do we lay the, the successes or failures on a particular, uh, writer, you know, this episode written by Rebecca Damron is this because of stuff she did or was she handed a story outline from the writer's room, you know, of which I'm sure she contributed, but you know, did the writer's room come up with, Oh snap, this is the episode where we need to pay off this, 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 we need to hobble Danny here because of this, 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 we also need to bring back the box and we need to set up this and the bowl returns. Like, is it, is, is it a bunch of bad parts? Is it, you know, is it, is this, you know, from where does the failure in this episode or the failures in this episode, from where do they come? I don't know, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of little problems in this episode. And then lastly, for me, Matt, is Davos making more iron physicists? I think that Davos does not have the necessary parts to make more iron fistuses. What I did get a distinct vibe from Pete was, you know, last season we had the hand. Okay. The hand inspired another famous New York based, uh, ninja clan. I of course refer to the foot clan, the, uh, you know, that, that were led by, uh, shredder. So are we headed here to, now, I'm being somewhat serious. Like, are we headed towards like, he's, the only other thing, the only other kind of kind of analog that I know of compared to what Davos is doing is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the movie, where their shredder is at uh, the east side of Lairdman Island. That's hardwired into my brain from age 10, uh, when he's he's getting the youths to come. And, you know, we already saw them earlier in the season, Pete. They're there playing their arcade games and, and their hangouts and such. Now he's going to turn them into ninja masters so they can steal purses and do evil things or evil to us for davos it's good 
I don't know, Pete, is season three uh, Iron Fist versus Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Answer the question. Um, I, I'm going to deflect like uh, Ward and, and Danny do best in this episode or worst. Um, and I'm, I'm going to make this uh, plea. Uh, the only way I will get back on team Danny is if he performs the entire ninja rap by Vanilla Ice with all of Rhino's squad. That is the only way I will get back with Danny. Go ninja, go ninja, go. Let's listen to some messages from the mystical city of Kunlun. Pete, check that mailbag. What do we have waiting for us for this week's episode? From the Fantastic Geek Facebook page, Matt Robert T. Frost writes in, Matt and Pete, episode 202, Mary, I too want more villainous Mary. The scene in the dojo bathroom was excellent. Mary wiping the steamed up mirror to reveal one clear reflection of half her face and the other half obscured. Great pathos. I also keep waiting for the notes to mean something more, like if they fold up to reveal a secret message in Chinese script. Back to episode 201. Was it a throwaway line when Davos asked Danny if he would change the past or foreshadowing? Asking and implying if Danny would let Davos become the Iron Fist. Is that why Davos needs the bowl? And the bowl is part of the Erskine collection. Would that be as in Dr. Abraham Erskine of Captain America fame? I wonder, could the creator of the Super Soldier Serum have any antiquities hobby? On to episode 203, your friend, Bob. Well, I love that theory there, and I'll assume that they're not going to go anywhere with it. Well, he's, uh, he's not. We know that it's a different... Erskine. Still, I think it's a fun naming opportunity nonetheless. Mm -hmm. If you're going to pull a name out of the hat, it's enough to, you know, it's enough to make Jeff Loeb claim that it really, really is all connected and that it's all going to be really even more connected soon because that's what people want to hear at the convention at that moment and then (laughs) not follow through. Jeff Loeb, you're like a dad that let us all down. Anyhow, but I digress, Pete. Um, Interesting that Bob was taking a, a, a slant there on Davos looking to possibly kind of travel through time to be Iron Fist um, kind of at the at the onset. Here we are all these episodes later, you know, five or six episodes since he wrote it. I don't think that's where we're headed. I think if anything, it was kind of, um, you know, just exposition in terms of setting up his desire to become Iron Fist. However, I kind of like bob's rewrite there i mean if there was some was some sort of you know back to the future too oh man danny is watching himself in kunlun and he'll change the outcome and things like that could be fun or maybe another marvel property is going to do that i don't know next april well matt you know foreshadowing and uh changing the past is never needed when we have the good people at patreon.com slash fantastic geek 
Indeed, Pete, they keep us afloat. They are our team from Kunlun, but nobody wants to go back and change things because we're all copacetic. We're all happy. So thank you, patrons. And hopefully uh, new patrons will go to patreon.com slash fantasticgeek to help keep the podcast mojo flowing. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content. And then if you want to be at the Ernst Erskine level and get you know home visits, there's a place for you. And Pete, the best thing, though, the thing that's always free, it's being in touch with you. How can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R-9982. K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, followers can't be wrong and while i'm personally on twitter as looking back lost do be in touch with the podcast comment on fantasticgeek.com check us out on twitter instagram and gmail where we are fantastic geek as well but wait Pete, there's more facebook.com slash fantastic geek with the ph all one word like it today Pete, those listening to us on the Iron Fist podcast feed know that we'll be back on Friday for more Iron Fist. Those listening on the Pop Culture podcast feed, you're getting some Star Trek this week. Maybe it's already happened. Maybe it's coming in the future. Maybe Bob is right. The time travel is everywhere, and we've already gone back in time to the future to make that happen. But there's some things and some stuff heating up this week in the, the Star Trek neck of the woods that we are definitely going to be talking about on the pop culture podcast feed. So excited about that. But Pete, let's keep things focused on the MCU here. We are with three episodes to go for iron fist. It's been a much improved slog, even though we, we wagged our fingers at Danny and company this episode. So with that, I will say adios to all the listeners and give you the final word. I came in for the eggs. I stayed for the ambiance.